Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 216th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's a busted-ass companion for your wallet. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Mumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, James. Glad to be here on a, uh, I wish I could say unseasonably, but it isn't, cool April uh looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you our show is produced by mtgprice.com the leading mtg finance community sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs chat on discord and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby mtg fast finance is proudly sponsored by cool stuff inc where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock including all the best in magic the gathering singles sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Noticed our sponsor had a pretty sweet deal on today. They have the pre-orders for the Ikoria pre-release kits that probably nobody will ever get to play in person. Uh, for I think about, works out to about, if you get say four of them, you get gets, with shipping about 25 bucks if you use our 5% off coupon uh, per kit. And they're throwing in two extra packs per kit. So you get eight total for that price. Huh. That's pretty good. Yeah, not bad at all. You need uh, that. So I got to kick things off this week with uh, some red hot uh, online finance advice that has nothing to do with Magic Online. Okay. Um, finally dived in on on Magic Arena. Uh, given that they just launched for Ikoria drafts uh, the first swath of eight person live drafts, because up until this point, people may may or may not be aware. On Arena, you were drafting against bots, and uh, a lot of the pros who were trying were trying to test for major events before this COVID thing kicked off were uh, complaining that that didn't really give accurate results, and so they had shifted back to drafting on Magic Online. Um, now that you have eight-person drafts on Arena, I would uh, expect that even more of the drafting action will shift over to that platform. And that may cut off some of the supply of needed constructed staples um, over on Magic Online, which is a bit fascinating, really, because when you think about it, there's no vendors cracking boxes to sell singles over in Magic Online land. There are vendors running bots that buy and sell cards on a spread. But all of that inventory that flows through the bots is basically coming out of sealed pools and drafts. So... As that activity dwindles, if more and more of it shifts over to Arena, then you would expect that constructed card prices, especially on the on the formats you can't play in Arena, so basically not standard, uh, Pioneer, Modern, Legacy, Vintage, etc., are going to spike pretty hard, and that that process will be, uh, or that trend line will be exacerbated by the fact that everybody's at home and playing more digital. I mean, I barely touched Magic Online or Arena over the last six to eight months. And here I am having just finished three drafts in a sealed pool. Hmm. Okay. Uh, interesting. The way that plays out. So one of the things that people might want to consider if they're trying to figure out where they want to do their Ikoria drafting is that your first... Everything in on Magic Arena is gems-based. And gems is kind of 
the ticks equivalent <laughs> um, from Magic Online. So on Magic Online, you have tickets, and they basically cost a dollar US, but you can get them cheaper, like somewhere closer to 0. 0.9 to 0. 0.9 point. 0.95 depending on who you're buying them from and when and how motivated they are to exit on ticks um an arena there's no marketplace whatever you acquire an arena is yours but you can't sell it i mean i presumably you could resell an, an entire account but that would be a bit awkward um since it's it's going to be linked to your payment details and so forth um but otherwise there's basically no way to exit that economy and, right. and so mostly what you're doing there is you're trying to go infinite in draft and sealed pools so that you get tons and tons of wild cards. Because basically, like, I think I went 5-3, five, 5-3, three, five, three, 7, and 1 in my first three events. And in the, I think in the 5-3 level, you're spending 1,500 gems or something to draft. And that's basically $10 US. And you get if you're buying gem bundles and if you go i think it's either four wins or five wins and three losses you're basically going to get your gems back and get to do the whole thing again and then you're going to get packs plus gems so i think it's seven and one i got six packs plus more gems than i put in so you go up on gems and you crack the packs because there's nothing else you can do with them over on magic online you can take your packs and sell them for ticks during the period where they're actually useful because people can right. use them to enter drafts. Like it's like three packs plus two ticks to draft over there. Um, but over here, there's nothing you can do with your packs but open them. And the, the packs themselves don't have a full 15 cards, so it's a little weird. But as you open them, you get these wild cards. And the wild cards are the same rarities as we know, know, know and love in Magic. And the whole point there is that you're eventually, presumably, you're going to want to play Constructed of some kind down the road. Right now, they only support really Pioneer and uh, Historic and I guess Brawl, if I'm not mistaken, um, which is the small number of sets commander version. The But it's all about like, in the process of going infinite, you're getting all these wild cards so that you can get the cards you need for your Constructed deck for free. Now, you can also grind on Magic Arena, which is common with modern uh, online collectibles games, uh, things like Hearthstone, etc., where instead of buying gems, you can just fulfill daily quests and whatever, and over some long period of time uh, doing random things, you're going to build up enough coins, which is the alternative currency that takes a lot longer to build up, and then turn the coins into more events or product or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but they have a thing where the first... $5 you spend basically gets you like two and a half drafts or so. So worth worth a look for people that are curious because five bucks is nothing and is going to at least give you a leg up. And if you happen to be pretty good at limited um, and you can put up a decent record, you could, I think I ended up with something like 12 mythic wild cards maybe 20 rare wild cards and a bunch of uncommon and common. So like I don't quite have enough for a deck yet probably but i'm getting pretty close and again that was just five bucks and then i think they have another package that's something like 3500 gems for 10 or 15 dollars or something like that that is kind of like the next hook they try to put in you to get you hooked on the system and then things get more expensive but anyway something for people to consider because I, I definitely do find that the arena software is running pretty smoothly now on my machine which is four years old or whatever 
it's my work machine, so it's re- relatively powerful. But all of the crazy animations they had running when I first tested it in beta, I was like, yeah, people with older machines are not going to have a good time here. But even on my like moderately powerful, moderately old machine, it was running pretty pretty well. And it was pretty cool when somebody cast Godzilla against me and he did this Godzilla scream. <laughs> I was that's like, a, that's amusing. I was like, yep, that's the sound of an ass kicking coming. <laughs> <laughs> eight, eight eight trample haste for five and two red well i would hope that arena can run reasonably well on a four-year-old machine because the program shouldn't have i mean you should be able to run that on i should be able to run that in my toaster right like that should run on anything mobile Presumably. yeah so they ran, they ran pretty smooth. Um, I mean, there's happy. probably a lot of people playing i mean i'm sure arena player base is way up at the moment so uh i'm sure this is good information for somebody yeah. You you haven't played Arena yet? No, no. I really I have just no interest in digital card games. Can't bring <laughs> myself to do it. Interesting. Did you did you ever play Magic Online? Uh a little bit, a long time ago. Um Innistrad, maybe, I think, was when I did it. But it was few and far between. Yeah. I mean, the game, I like magic, but I find the digital interface so bad that it's just not fun. I It might be worth you, like, coughing up the five bucks and kicking around Arena. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts afterward, because I do find that the magic online experience, which is so tragically bad, has been greatly improved, especially in this updated version of Arena. And, you know, draft was very smooth, deck building very smooth, fairly intuitive, using the store very intuitive... There's a, there's a couple of quirks and quibbles, but all in all, I'm pretty happy with, you know, what it, it, it being what it is. I do have questions about, you know, two, three years out if they get to the point where they decide to shut down Magic Online. Um, and I'm still not 100% that's going to happen, uh, given how slowly things are moving. But if that happens, I'm curious whether there will be some kind of compensation package designed to smoothly transition the, the like mtgo diehards over into arena well we talked about this a long time ago i mean they'll float moto for as long as they can get away with it um i you know this is this is personal but i i don't first of all the monetization of arena hearthstone all of those systems doesn't really appeal to me um I'm essentially loathe to spend money on video games. Uh, you know, the number of games that I have spent more than $3 on in the last four years is minimal, <laughs> like, like under five. Uh, then you have the fact that, you know, magic tends to be time intensive, both in the moment and also in it, both in the battle and the war. You know, your your matches, even, you know, I know Arena, you can separate your matches more easily than you used to be able to on Moto. But, you know, you're, you, you, you should be committing at least an hour every time you sit down, most likely. And then if you get into playing Magic, it sucks up a huge amount of time, just playing Magic in general. Uh, and I, you know, I, I also like, and this is purely personal, but I like to, I like, I try to assign activities to, to periods of time and not deviate from that. So what does that mean? Well, when I'm in front of a computer, I like to play computer games. 
Um, this is in contrast to my friends who all download a tabletop simulator or some of my friends who've downloaded a tabletop simulator have been playing a lot of board games at their computer now that we're all in quarantine. But I'm like, I don't want to play board games when I'm in front of a computer. I want to play board games when I'm at a table with people because I like the pieces and the fiddliness and all of that. Like tables are for board games. Computers are for games that I can't play at the table. So with, for me, magic was magic is about the cards. And if I'm not playing with the cards, I don't really want to play it. Um, so that's kind of what it's been for me. I, I don't, and I don't find that I'm missing the itch at the moment. Uh, but I had been playing magic a lot for a long time. So I'm just a little more dormant on that front for the most part. Anyways. Fair enough. Uh, all right. So what we got going on today? Well, this week we have a segment in an indeterminate number of a show in an indeterminate number of segments. Uh, the first segment, damn it, <laughs> still, have to, still have to label these somehow. Segment one is our uh, MTGO metagame week in review. We'll look through some of the recent events. We've got Modern, Standard, Pioneer, and Legacy all showing up. Segment two, our top paper movers, cards that have moved in paper this week. Segment two, three-ish, our top MTGO movers, same idea, but moto cards. Segment Next segment, our topic of the week um the banning of flash in cedh companions which i think it will be hard to avoid talking about that (laughs) before we get there and the uh apparent possible unionization of tcg player all sorts of interesting topics this week then wrapping up we have two more segments uh both mtgo and paper cards to watch stuff that you and i think has a good future ahead of it but let's hop in here. Um, our Medigate Week and Review uh, starting off with Modern. And it looks like everything uh, Modern was from the 19th, so two days ago as of recording. Uh, and the other challenges were all 420 Blaze It. Yeah, so the, the story of all of these challenges was just in completely ridiculous initial showing for the companions, Brian Gottlieb of the uh, Arena Decklist podcast uh, with Gary T pointed out on Twitter uh, yesterday that companions took first and second in the Vintage Challenge, first through fourth in the Legacy Challenge, the entire top eight of the Modern Challenge, first through fourth in the Pioneer Challenge, and six of the eight slots in the top eight of the Standard Challenge. Like. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Just when you thought things couldn't get Oko enough. It, it's you, you, we're kind of in that moment right now where it's like, okay, is this just because everyone's trying them out and like every competent player and everyone thinks they're good. So they're all playing them and that's what's going to result in. And that's going to result in these being all over the top tables, whether they're good or not, or are they truly that good? But given that I was reading tweets this week, which were, if you could play Lurus or Black Lotus in standard, which would you pick? Like, even the fact that you're asking the question sort of gives you an idea of where we are. Well, and people were talking about in Vintage that they would, they would if they had to choo- choose Lurus or one of the Power Nine, they'd choose Lurus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because some of the other Power Nine pieces are interchangeable, whereas Lurus provides the unique recursion effect. So... I mean, to kick it off, let's take a look at the Pioneer Challenge. That one was won by Black White uh, Auras, which we called it when we were talking to Daniel 
as a very likely uh, place for Lyris to show up because the deck was already uh, a bunch of stuff that was under two casting cost. Well, two or less, which is all Lyris needs to post up in the sideboard and make the deck even better. So here we go. First place finish in the Pioneer Challenge. Also took second place. Third place was a mono red deck that ran Lurus <laughs> because all the mono red stuff is all the mono red permanents, mind you, are two casting costs or less. They only have a few things whose casting cost is three or more, but they're not permanent, so they don't count. That includes Wizards Lightning, Light at the Stage, and Skewer the Critics. So, I mean, fourth place was also the black white Lurus list. Lurus. That was the companion for all of the top four decks, three of them exactly the same. And this was a deck, the black-white deck, that was known to be good, had done okay, had posted up in top eights here and there, but was not dominant. But them getting this extra card that they're going to get every single game as soon as they hit three mana that allows them to start recursing the things the deck already ha- is in danger of losing via card disadvantage. The same issue you have anytime you're trying to Voltron stuff up with a bunch of enchantments. If they manage to handle that, that stack of two, three, four cards goes to the graveyard and you're way behind on uh, on card count. But then you cast your Lurus that you always have in your hand and... If you've got a couple extra spare mana, you you start recursing. It was also fifth place. Sixth place was Collected Company Spirits uh, and did not seem to have a companion attached to it. Seventh place was Oracle, Jace, uh, etc. Shenanigans, Inverter of Truth. And of course, they didn't have a companion. And then eighth place was the Mono Green Great Henge deck. Um, that also did not have a companion. So really strong showing for Lurus and Pioneer. I cannot imagine... I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is just opening weekend. Oko, it took a little while. It took a couple weeks before people really started to understand that Oko was not okay. Um, when he was first revealed, people weren't even that concerned about it at all. He looked no. strong, but like people thought... People didn't think... I said, like, ah, this isn't really top tier. It... Um, O- Oko, like even now, you read Oko and you're like, I don't get it. Like people will look at that card three years from now who are newer to Magic and be like, Why was this card banned? And be like, e- you kind of had to see the play experience to really get Oko. But yeah, the companions don't feel like they were ever like that. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting too because this this is these are cards that are coming off the table at Wizards Design. So presumably being run through the strongest play test group they've ever had, in theory, because they've been hiring pros into a play design unit for a little while now. And we're getting busted ass cards this year. Like, it's so many cards up potentially for banning. And this time it's not just Oko, which was obviously just not just Oko. It was also uh, Once Upon a Time. Uh, and there was other... Other things that were problematic from M20 around the same time. This is like an entire keyword mechanic. Mm-hmm. Companion is a bunch of cards in this set. And so as we go through here, we're going to see that other companions, like I think somebody was doing a table of how many of the companions had already top aided something in at least one format. And it was something like 60% of them already. So it's not just Luris. Luris is certainly looking like one of the strongest, but there's a, a good chance that at least one, two, maybe three of these end up getting banned in at least one format and that the rest are going to be, you know, suspect 
that there'll be open-ended cans of worms that only get worse over time. I really do wonder uh, if we'll ever get to know what happened with companions. Will we ever find out what actually led to them making it out of wizards? Because it's hard to imagine that all of play design agreed that these were fine and that out of all the very intelligent, very capable people in that building, it was agreed as a group that they were not going to be a problem. And that not only were they going to be busted, but they weren't a complete violation of sacred cows. Um, And I'm led to suspect, and I don't think we'll ever find out the truth, that there was a heavier hand at play. Some impetus from a corporate level, essentially pushing them towards something like this. And we, you know, we've already, we already knew they said Eldraine was obscenely powerful and that they felt the mistakes were in, what is it? In, in, in not in form, but quantity. And that we would see more of it this year. And we are seeing more of it this year. So it's like, well, is there just, there, is there something else going on at Wizards that we're just not going to find out about? Well, it's interesting because when we were first tar- when the Oko debacle was going on in the fall, we were levying our critiques. And I was coming to the plate saying, Wizards must know that you can push this to sell packs for only so long. And then mm-hmm. there's going to be too much blowback to make that worthwhile. But now, you th- if you, by this point, now that we've seen this unfold and, you know, sure enough, every set seems just as problematic as the last, if not more so. And you put your tinfoil hat on and you wonder whether, it, like, you, like you, you just alluded to, it's just a stratagem. Like internally, they're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We think we can survive bannings, a smattering of bannings in every set. Here's the benefit. It keeps things unstable. It keeps formats from going stale. Because things have to get banned, and then we hit the reset button, and then people have to buy new cards, which is going to move more packs and move more singles and keep the market overall healthy. Now, the counter to all that would be, well, does it really, though? Like, one of the weird things here with Ikoria is, okay, so let's say that Companions was considered a massive failure six months out. And it it might undermine in the same way that buying an Eldraine pack is less exciting if getting an Oko could be a feel-bad. If companions are generally thought to be mistakes, then and they're ten slots. I think that's how many slots they are in in the set. That is ten cards you don't want to open if you can't play them in your favorite format. Now, some of them are going to get banned in some places, but not others. Luris has a good chance of being banned all over the place, like Oko, um, but might end up being in, in Legacy and Vintage, or not. Like maybe it gets banned there just because of like lack of diversity. Who knows? But I wonder if Ikoria, which already was likely to be uh, a powerhouse speculation set, just on the basis of people not being able to get their hands on it, A, getting it a month late, B, maybe they won't buy as much once the hype is over, C, there's no place to play Paper Magic and that could continue for a few months yet, and then D, it's got a bunch of banned cards. I mean, the singles that aren't banned should be through the roof a few years out. (laughs) well that's certainly possible i mean the 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 pandemic is going to make all of this even more difficult if regardless right like that's just a wrench that even wizards even wizards 
couldn't plan on this. Who knows? Maybe Wizards released so, Corona. So here's here's a first place finish. Let's explore this further. Over in the Modern Super Qualifier, which was the most important of these tournaments um, over the weekend. This was on the 18th, so Saturday? Yeah. Um, first place was a human's deck. Off the top of your head, do you know which companion was in the sideboard? Um, a human's deck? Which format? Say it again. Modern. First place finisher in the Modern Super Qualifier was a fairly standard-looking human's deck, although it was running three general Kudro of Droneth, which we had discussed with Daniel as a, hey, how many, like... Is this a one of, a two of, a three of? I, I would go with the five color elemental. It is Jengatha the Wellspring. Surprisingly, the constraint on Jengatha that no card in your starting deck has more than one of the same mana symbol in its mana cost. When you first read it, you might trip over it and think that that means you have to be like three and a red. No, 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 no. You could actually be a five color card. It's just you can't have any double mana symbols. So in the humans deck, it's single white, Dranath is white black, Kite Self Rebooter has single black, Mantis Rider is one of each Jeskai, Meddling Mage is one white blue, and so on and so forth. Nothing in this list had to be cut to get Jengatha into the sideboard. And that all that really gives you is a weird 5-5 elemental elk that has zero synergy with the rest of your deck, but they're running it anyway, because it's a free 5-5 every game. Yeah. Yeah, I also thought that this card, like when I first read it, I was like, I I read it wrong. And then when I finally figured out, I'm like, oh, so you can play like, you can play Reaper King. Right. I see. Okay. Well, that's interesting then because that might be good. Well, and it means that if you're building a five color list in, um, you know, EDH, then Jengatha is your companion from here to eternity. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah, for sure. And, and taps for Wooberg in a format where that actually is pretty useful. Very, very useful. Yeah. And, and a format that has soul rings and monoliths and other stuff that can get you to five mana pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So uh, pretty fascinating there. Also worth noting that they were running on top of the three General Kudro, also two Dranith Magistrate. This is the one three... One in a white human wizard, your opponents can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands, uh, which shuts down all sorts of shenanigans in modern. Hmm. Um, they're also playing a card that wrecked me in, in draft the other day. Uh, two Lava Brink Venturer, which is kind of like a poor man's true name nemesis. Two in a white for a 3-3. As Lava Brink Venturer enters the battlefield, you choose odd or even. Lava Brink Venturer has protection from each converted mana cost of the chosen value. Uh, so he chooses even. I've got a bunch of three drops on the table and some tokens. The token, uh, uh, sorry, he chooses. I've got a bunch of two and four drops on the table and some tokens, all of which are considered even. And I just could right. not block this thing. <laughs> and, and I saw all, them arguing about whether zero was even on Twitter the other day. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Lava Brink Venturer has won its fir- the first available modern super qualifier. Uh, and there yeah, are, I, and there are, t- and there's a total of three, seven, eight, nine, Ikoria cards that made its way into a humans list freshly in week one. Now, at this point in time, and I say that even before Aldrin, for the last year, I feel like that's not that remarkable for a new set 
since they M20. Have several cards show up. Yeah. Uh, actually, further, actually, further back than that, since War. Yes. War of the Spark was, is busted, and pretty much everything since has been busted. Yeah. I guess I, I'm just, like, I'm used to the idea that, like, oh, a new set came out. There's a bunch of... That should that set shows up in the extended formats, basically. Yeah. I'd say Theros has probably been the tamest of the bunch. Underworld yes. Breach, pretty busted. Thassa's Oracle, pretty busted. But the rest of the set, pretty, pretty, pretty straightforward. Um... So anyway, second place in this modern qualifier was Bant Planeswalkers with Uro Arkham's Astrolab and no real Ikoria shenanigans. Uh, that deck is so strong, it's not surprising that it can hold its own kind of no matter what you throw at it. Um, colorless Urza's Karn, Ugin, Eldrazi's Walking Ballistas, no Ikoria shenanigans in third. Fourth place, uh, this looks like, wow, this is a pretty unique mill deck. So this is mill with Glimpse the Unthinkable and some other stuff like that, but also making room for two Fatal Push, three Assassin's Trophy, three Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath, three Arkham's Astrolab, and four Mesmeric Orb. That's a new build for mill. The three Uro is cute. Uh... I don't know. What do I think? Yeah. I mean, the three Uro is the biggest deviation here. The The removal spells in the main deck is basically what you kind of would expect to see on these types of strategies eventually, which is moving away from a very concentrated combo to something a little more mid-rangey, you know, pulling back a little bit. I find myself wondering how much of the four surgical extraction main is a response to Lurus. Uh, I don't think that that's what that's for. If anything, I would expect that to be for like opposing Uros. Well, it pro- probably does work on both at this point. Yeah, I mean, a card like that you never play because there's one card that you care about, right? Unless the format is overrun with Emrakul you're not going to main deck Surgical Extractions for a single card. It has applicability across the board. But I can see, you know, if, um, you know, we're talking about modern, so Urza Uro decks are quite popular. Um, It being played primarily focusing on Uro with the ability to also, and maybe it's 50, maybe it's 48, 48. 48% Uro, 48% Loris, and 4% everything else. So fifth place was another Luris deck, also mono-red, but this time the modern flavor. Uh, sixth place was Creature Combo with uh, Devoted Druids and, and Luris. Uh, Vizier of Remedies, but uh, they still had room for a Luris. <laughs> Luris is being especially gross there because he can go get either side of your combo that died. Yeah, and even if you were going off and they managed to kill something in response, if there's a Luris on deck, you might just be able to... Uh, cast right back into it or do it the following turn um also shout out for the wizard's website for having luris not actually show up when you mouse over him because it's not officially out yet yeah real good guys gatherer i i am if anyone uses gatherer you're a sucker gatherer is the worst application you can use to look cards up do not use that website yes scryfall being the standard i'm assuming yeah the uh 
So here's here's a question. Luris lets you cast from the yard. Walking Ballista double X qualifies, but you can choose any size, right? So Luris can cast real big ballistas. Uh, let me double check Luris's wording here. Scryfall's running a little slow today too. Nobody wants me to to look at magic cards today. Jeez, come on. I wonder if the internet in my area is lagging. I haven't noticed it elsewhere. Holy shit. Are you kidding me? So Lurus says... Sometimes it runs slow if TCG players have During each of your turns, you may cast one permanent spell with converted mana cost two or less from, from your graveyard. Yeah. So it seems to me, it's not like it brings it into play and it would die as a zero zero. It looks, looks like you can cast whatever size ballista you want. Agreed. Yeah, that is how that works. Nasty. Um, all right. So that was sixth place. Seventh place was pretty much the same thing. Uh, and then eighth place was a repeat of the mono red deck with Luris. So Luris, 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 and Jengatha over in Modern. Uh, looking at the Legacy Challenge, which we rarely do, but may as well see how ridiculous these were. Um, you got a Delver deck in first, Luris in the sideboard. Because <laughs> uh, their only permanents are Delver, Dreadhorde, Arcanist, Lavinia, and Meddling Mages, and Mishra's Baubles. So Luris for, for realsies there. Second place was also Luris, but this time it was... Uh, <laughs> uh, mono, Colorless, Chalice of the Void, Walking Ballista, Stone Coil, Serpent, Steel Overseer, Fiat Rexion, Revoker, Hangerback Walker, Arcbound Ravager, so Affinity in Legacy. That deck looks like a finely tuned killing machine. Luris? Wow. Yeah, I mean, you can cast... <laughs> huh. Yeah, I don't, like, super love that. Lur- Luris feels a little... Yeah. No, that's good. I'll give him that. Hmm. Well, I mean, Stoke the... Serpents, Walking Ballistas, and Hangerback Walkers are all X spells that can be cast for free, so it's pretty nasty. Yeah, that must be kind of their angles. Like, just do your thing, and then as soon as... Like, eventually you'll reach a point where you um, where you run out of action and then you just use Luris to power out the biggest thing you've got going for you. Yeah. The um, third place deck was more of a Bant mid-range control shell with Jason the Mind Sculptor, Narset, Oko, Teferi, Ice Fang Quaddle, Snapcasters, Uros, Entreat the Angels, Ponder, Savine's Reclamation, Three Terminus, Bunch of Blue and White Spells, uh, and then instead of Lurus in the sideboard, they have Yorion, Sky Nomad. So, totally different companion. This is the one that forces you to play with 80 cards. So this is an 80-card deck in Legacy that took a third-place finish. <laughs> in week one. Against finely-tuned in, Legacy, in Legacy. Machines. Finely tuned legacy killing machines that have been doing their thing for years. That's crazy. Uh, I'm sure it's fine. I got smoked by Yorion in draft too. Like that card is so gross when, and you see it because you see companions as soon as the game starts. So, you know, it's coming. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, Oh, this is not going to be good. And everything (laughs) else in their deck was great. Wasn't even on color for them. They were splashing for it. And they were just dropping beater after beater. They dropped a, like, King Ghidorah against me or something. I had to deal with it. But I knew the Yorion was coming to, like, clean things up. It was just silly. 
Fourth hmm. place was another Delver deck with Luris in the sideboard. Fifth place was Elves uh, with no Ikoria shenanigans, but of course they have Once Upon a Time, so they've got their own busted stuff from last year. Uh, and then sixth place, I'm going to assume is Luris because it's some kind of uh, Teps build. It's got three Wish Claw Talisman, that's notable. But that's been going yeah, on which for I a while. Th- yeah, so I think we talked about that back when we did the initial set review for Eldraine, like, hey, this seems like it'll be completely fine in decks like that that never tend to give their opponent another turn after they cash Wishclaw Talisman. Delver without Luris in 7th. He's wishing he ran Luris, I'm sure. Um, and then 8th place is another bunch of nonsense with Lion's Eye Diamond and Wishclaw Talisman and another Luris. Like... <laughs> this, so card is is getting, this, this card is getting banned. It, and the it, problem is, how, how do you battle with it? Like so, there was a conversation where uh, it was like Chapin and Reed Duke and a couple of those guys, and they were saying if you could pick, you know, let, it's a fun thought experiment. Let's say that uh, you can pick any card to be your companion in a for- in you know in each format. What card do you choose? And uh, the answer for Pioneer for Chapin was uh, Thoughtseize. And, you know, like, always have Thoughtseize as your companion card in Pioneer. Sounds pretty gross, right? And Reed Duke's like, why would you ever cast Thoughtseize? Why would you make Thoughtseize your card when your opponent's best card starts outside the game? Right? Like, your opponent's companion starts outside the game. You can't Thoughtseize it. So why would you ever use Thoughtseize? Um, so think about that. <laughs> like, like, having access to turn one Thoughtseize reliably every single game possibly still not good enough uh really just goes to show you what we're looking at here well that's a real problem because in, they have inadvertently created a class of cards that exist in a zone that no other card can interact with there are nope. no cards that target sideboards nope it's not it's and not even like gonna... an exile if something's an exile and they're planning on bringing it back you know, this is this is essentially the same kind of thing. <laughs> you have, it's not the yard, it's not their hand, it's not in play. You're not going to have anything in your deck that can deal with it until the time comes. Your only real option is to counterspell it, but you're counterspelling the free card they they get, they started the game with that's one up from you if you don't have a companion. Yeah, yeah. It's and because magic gross. magic hand and because magic hands are only seven cards, the difference between eight and seven is statistically significant. You know, if we started with 20 cards and companions for the 21st, it would be much less of a big deal. Yeah. I, I think I think one of the issues here... I, okay, we don't want to get too deep into it, right? Because that's supposed to be a segment, whatever. So, <clears throat> so over in Standard, uh, the remaining challenge, you have the Sacrifice deck with Witches Oven and all sorts of nonsense. Uh, they've added in four Whisper Squad because those can do a poor man's Squadron Hawk imitation and go get each other, so you have more Sacrifice Fodder. They're running four Serrated Scorpion because it creates a four-point life swing for one black every time you recycle it, which can end the game relatively quickly if you get the cycle going. Um, they've also got two Call of the Death Dweller, which is one of my favorite cards in this set. That's the one that for two and a black sorcery, you get to go return two target creature cards with total converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard. One gets a death touch counter. The other one gets a menace counter. Um, so that just keeps fueling the fire for them. This deck's going to be, you know, top three in standard, I think, until it, its pieces rotate out. Yeah, could be. I mean, that's that's quite a potent card. 
They were uh, first place in that challenge, second place in that challenge, third place was Blue-White Control. They have added in uh, two Shark Typhoon, which makes perfect sense. That's the one where you X1 Blue cycle and create an uh, XX Blue Shark creature token with flying. So you're drawing a card. If you put in six mana into it, you get a 4-4 Flyer and draw a card. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can do it at instant speed because it's, so it's that perfect end of turn sequence that blue-white control loves to run they also run a voracious great shark that's the 5-4 flash uh, shark creature that counters target artifact or creature spell when it enters the battlefield and i think that's the extent of their influence from icoria fourth place uh is a black white uh kind of aggro witches oven cauldron familiar deck that steps away from the jun builds we've seen before Kind of a mixture of like the black-white deck that's in Pioneer and that Jun deck, um, realizing that they can just clean up their mana situation and work with three Call of the Death Dweller to keep uh, putting fodder into the Witch's Oven. That, yeah, that card is pretty good. And of I course, my eye during the side review too. And, and of course, they get to run Luris, so that's right. Luris top right. eighting in standard. Well, of course, someone's playing Luris. I mean, they're not going to not play Luris, right? Like, how could you not play Luris? It just seems lurid. Fifth place was uh, a mono-blue build. Four Brazen Borrower, four Brineborn Cutthroat, three, four Sea Dasher Octopus, so that's uh, Ikoria influence, four Spectral Sailor, four Stonecoil Serpent, uh, Aethergus, Essence Capture, Mystical Disputes, Neutralize, Opt, Quench, two Castle of Interest, 20 Islands, and no companion. Poor them. <laughs> cool. Uh, sixth, pl- sixth place was also the Jund Oven build. Uh, Jeskai Control Midrain. Oh no, it's a Fires of Invention. Jeskai Fires of Invention in seventh. Uh, notably using two Narset of the Ancient Way. And Karuga the Macro Sage as their companion that's the one that's a three blue green blue green five four when it enters the battlefield draw a card for each other permanent you control with converted mana cost three or greater so you've used your fires of invention to get a few things down and then you reload your hand like crazy by casting karuga which is always sitting there waiting to take advantage of your board state yeah this card is pretty sick in fires because it's just like okay i've spent the whole game setting up and now i just drew four cards and put a five four into play like that's going to be pretty tough. Because the thing with fires is that if you can't, you get you get a couple of activations off it where you cast it for free, and then you're in a situation where you have enough land to cast what you need anyway. Um, so you'd really like to be refilling your hand at that point. So it's just like, <laughs> that at that stage of the game, Karuga is just exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. Dro- drop a threat that fills your hand, um, and then we've got like a, a blue red. Arclight Phoenix build that top aided. So Arclight Phoenix back on the on the menu apparently. Um, we always said that Arclight was just a couple cards away in both Standard and Pioneer from being back on the menu. Uh, four Arclight, four Goblin Electromancer, four Riel the Everwise, which was one of your uh, flags last week yeah. during the set review. Um, Riel is the zero three human wizard legend, blue red one. Uh, gets plus one, plus zero for each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard. And whenever you discard one or more cards for the first time each turn, you draw that many cards. So as you're cycling stuff or using uh, looting effects, you're drawing additional cards for the loot. 
runs two Sprite Dragon. Uh, that's uh, the Dorat, the perfect pet art is so terrible. I hate it. Uh, that's four cathartic reunion. Oh, I had a I had a nice moment uh, a couple times in my draft. I had uh, is it Lutri that got banned? Uh, yes, the blue red one. Yeah, right. So um, there's that terrible uh, meme card, cathartic reunion. Uh, and then the the one that partners with it, uh, something friendship. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't remember the name of the other card, but like nasty friendship or something. I can't remember what it's called, but basically it makes it makes a one one human uh, token, white human token, and a one one red hasted dinosaur token. So I cast that, then realized I had Lutri in my companion slot. Cast Lutri and doubled it up and got Lutri and four tokens for five mana. Seems fine. Yeah. And that's like the worst thing you could be doing with Lutri in draft. <laughs> uh, so yeah, blue-red build and eighth. Bottom line, companions all over the place. And I just, I'm having a lot of trouble believing that they're going to get out of this without banning something. It, Yeah, it, it does seem like uh, they are representing a problem here for Wizards and Magic. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But wait, we have to wait until we get into our other segment to discuss. Um, let's move on to segment two, our top paper movers. Uh, we're kicking off this week with Gilded Drake out of Urza's Saga which is uh, the reserve list card, um, the two mana three, three, that when it comes in the play, you exchange control of it with something else your opponent controls. Um, and it's uh, started the week at 85 and is up towards 115 for a, a meager gain of about 30 bucks, 35%. But it's a useful EDH card, a reserve list card that's just under continual pressure. Um, so not the most expedient jump as far as these types of cards have gone, but you know, that's what we're looking at here and there's not going to be any more supply. Somebody in our forum said, Oh, grab them at 110, They'll be one fifty soon. I, I expect expressed skepticism that it could hold that price, especially given where the economy is headed, but it is reserve list. I, I wonder whether Yorion is affecting this because Yorion as a companion in EDH, um, makes guilt like flickering gilded drakes is pretty nasty uh that like with the gilded drake trigger on the stack if you flash in the orion maybe i'm stretching yeah i don't see how yorion because this is uh, not a permanent you own and control so you can't, the only time you could ever target it would be the Gilded Drake triggers on the stack. So you'd get to double Gilded Drake, I guess, but that means you're casting Yorion with haste. But, but with what, happens, what, happens, what happens if you flicker a Gilded Drake that's been traded away? Does it come back to your side? Uh, I mean, it, you can't do that with Yorion, but if you flicker a Gilded Drake... Then it depends on what the card says, but it pro the well, it depends on what the flicker effect says. But if it says return it to its owner's control, you would get the gilded drake back as the owner and then retrade it with their stuff, which you know, presumably, yeah. I guess you'd have to have something like Bedelkin Orri in play or something, so you're casting Yuri on at flash speed. Yeah, it's 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 it would be a little tricky to make work for sure. Yeah, so maybe I'm way off. The uh, bottom line, gilded drake, little move. 
Brazen Borrower foils. This is the uh, showcase foils going from 70 to almost 100. There's hardly any of them lying around. This is a multi-format staple, and it demonstrates the show the potential of showcase mythics. We got a showcase mythic foil here that was available as low as I want to say 40 at some point. I'd have to go look up what what the showcase foils got down to, um, but it certainly has been significantly lower than 100. So if you bought some of those in the fall, you're probably doing just fine. Yeah. Yeah, it would seem that way at this point. And I mean, I, this, this is also, I guess, I think it's worth pointing out, likely the best case scenario for buying Showcase Foil Mythics. Uh, it doesn't really get any better than Brazen Borrower. This card has seen play in every, uh, every format, right? Essentially. I don't know about every, but at least three formats, um, certainly in Pioneer, Standard, and Modern. That's that's a lot. It's a lot of formats. Uh, So, yes, you you could have done very well on this, but I think it's close to representing at least the 80th or 90th percentile upper bound just because it has been quite popular. Anecdotally, it looks like I bought one at a price I would have later considered too soon. Uh, October 10th, I bought one of these. It's $62 plus a discount coupon, so something about like 55 And I have a feeling it dropped lower, and I felt regretful by mid-November. But looks like I'm, as I said, going to be just fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, can't complain about that. Skullbriar the Walking Grave has been on our radar since Ozolith was revealed um, because it sets up busted things. Uh, 11 to 17 on the original commander printing of the card. Spark Double from War of the Spark is up from 3 to $5. This is non-foils um, on the back of Gyruda combo and standard, running it as a four of. Not actually clear that Gyruda is going to stand the test. Uh, didn't show up in the top eight here, despite looking silly in the videos I watched early on of it. Um, might just be a meme deck. Uh, so I don't have the timeline in front of me, but he was banned on Moto because oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's right. Leyline of the Void wasn't working correctly with it. Right, so he he might just be a wall because he couldn't be played. Um, yeah. Although I did see comments from the some pros that suggested maybe he wasn't good enough so i guess we'll see once they fix that bug whether he still has a role to play in the format i'll tell you when i watched the video of i think it was lsv playing it it, it just looked ridiculous like the, the garuda is sitting in your companion slot you are going to cast you're going to ramp a bit cast it on turn four or five that's immediately going to flip over something like a spark double which is going to be a copy of garuda which is going to go do the, th- the thing again and if it hits another clone, it does it again, and you can end up putting hmm. like twenty to thirty power on the table on turn four or five. Isn't is he not legendary? Yeah, but Spark Double says that it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Did you see that tweet that was floating around the screenshot of somebody playing Legacy? They mauled to two, capped two Lion's Eye Diamonds, and had Gyruda as their companion. So London, <laughs> thank you, London Mulligan, uh, because he just drew a seven card hand with two LEDs and then threw five of them away, threw five other cards away. Because now he goes LED, LED, crack, crack, no cards to discard, has six mana, casts Gyruda, and goes off. <laughs> and I'm assuming, because let me just double check here, but Gristlebrand 
is eight mana, an even card. So I'm presuming that Gristlebrand is in that deck. So you LED, LED, crack them both, guy root out, flip Gristlebrand, reanimate Gristlebrand, go off. Yeah, because I'm all the two. Crazy. Yeah, because Spark Double lets you copy either creatures or planeswalkers and makes them non legend the, the copy non legendary. Okay. So if you hit multiple spark doubles, which isn't that tough, because um, you're you're seeing four cards each. The other thing is that sometimes you just randomly hit your opponent's stuff and want that instead, because <laughs> it flips it flips both and you get to choose from eight cards, four from you and four yeah. from them. Yeah. So even so if you just, brick entirely on your own, you've got options. Yeah, I, I saw I do a lot of work. I mean, and a focused aggro deck, burn deck, that kind of thing can put these kind of decks behind the eight ball, but. Their comeback potential to stabilize a, an aggro board that isn't spell-based is high because they put such fat bodies in the way of any further aggression. And you can and you can tune what you want to be. Like maybe your opponent has something that you, you want to grab that's gonna give you some life or draw you a card or whatever. Um, and again, Gyruda represents open-ended is that open-ended synergy poster child thing. It's as time goes on, you just get more and more options to flip into play with Gyruda. So uh, that one's certainly on people's radar is potentially problematic as well, at least in standard. Um, Magus of the Moon uh, out of Iconic Masters has been on the radar for a few weeks now because of the green-red Ponza deck in Modern. Here we see the IMA copies going from 10 to 28. That seems to have been yo-yoing a bit. It seems like uh, you know people are noticing they've got some copies in their binder and throwing them up for sale, then they're getting gobbled up and some more appear. So not clear where that's going to stabilize, but... One of the things I was telling people in our Discord this week is that um, one of the dynamics in play this week was that the $1,200 checks landed end of last week. So across the U.S., people that didn't necessarily need that to eat or pay the power bill would might have felt free to go ahead and spend it. Um, the other thing that's going on, though, is that buy lists have been shut down, not everywhere, but most of them for long enough now that if a card was already in relatively low supply and it's a popular card to begin with, there's no easy way for more copies to make their way into the market unless players pull them out of binders and post them direct to eBay or TCG. Because, you know, vendors like Cool Stuff Inc. are still processing uh, buy lists, but other vendors have shut their buy lists down. So they're or they're getting a minimum of uh, a trickle of traffic because they're not offering as much as they were before the crisis. So there's just less fresh inventory entering the market. And that's going to make, you know, if, if there's a run on a card like Magus of the Moon, it's not going to be as easy for it to stabilize. Yeah, which is true. And it's, you, you kind of figure it's it's probably a self-correcting problem because if a card has a wild spike, then yes, there's way less fresh inventory to move into the market. But at the same time, is there going to be that much sudden demand for a card like the the same forces that are keeping those buy lists from operating are the same ones keeping players from having a need to buy these cards i think you would see those spikes temporarily right like for a short period like a couple days while people dug extra copies out or what have you be short term i don't know it does it does seem like it kind of works both ways here's a weird one i didn't have an answer for Hunting Grounds is an enchantment for one and a white out of Judgment that went from 7 to 20 this week, drained out of the market. Um, it's the one that if you have Threshold, which means you have seven cards in your graveyard, then you get to put a creature into play each time an opponent casts a spell. Yeah. 
pretty good card in EDH generally, but I, I couldn't figure out whether there was something in Ikoria that had pushed this specifically, like whether it was mentioned on a Command Zone episode or something. This card is sick, first of all. Uh, this card is very good. Did something happen to make it popular all of a sudden? That I don't have an answer for. But Hunting Grounds is a cool card. The, so, o- the only thing I found while I was poking around was that there is Nethroi Apex of Death in Ikoria, which is two... Uh, Abzan for a 5-5 death touch lifelink mutates for 7 and if it mutates you return any number of target creature cards with total power 10 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield so I could see hunting grounds in that deck because you're trying to put a bunch of stuff in the yard anyway um, so that you can later bring it back with the Nethroi mutate trigger and so hunting grounds makes sense there but I, I don't know if the two are actually connected yeah, I, I am not sure either. I mean, Hunting Grounds is a great card, so I'm not surprised to see it on our list. Frankly, I'm surprised that it took this long to see it on our list more than anything. Um, so next on the list, we got Lurus of the Dream Den, him, uh, him her, I'm not sure, self. Um, Ida Vicoria from 8 to $24. This is a freshly printed rare. Um, potentially the most busted multi-format card since Oko. I think that's safe to say. However... It wouldn't normally be, be this high if we were at a true opening weekend. This is a weird result, and there are many Ikoria cards in the same boat. They're really high right now. Because the inventory came out in Japan last week. Some seem to have been leaking out of vendors and or distributors in the U.S. as well. Off pre-orders that got shipped when they shouldn't have. And anybody who got their hands on this stuff early, fast and early, is in really good position. Because you're selling singles into a hollow market. People clearly are interested in buying them. And that inventory is not going to land for another three or four weeks. Uh, yeah, I... <laughs> this is this is very good if you if you got your hands on them cheap. So Ikoria, Ikoria pre-releases are canceled entirely. Is that correct? Well, it must unless, be, right? in, unless America goes back gets out of the house in a month yeah but when when is the ikoria release date schedule like, like last weekend but it's it they moved it to may 15th or something okay they did move it yeah and i mean you you might see a couple of them fire before then or you know at that point in time but that doesn't seem like you're it's not gonna be the most most of them will not i bet over 90 percent don't fire well it's funny right because so far it seems like maybe four states will be open for business to some extent. It's not clear in which states gaming shops might be allowed to open. But it's going to be funny because let's say that there are pre-releases in Atlanta and almost nowhere else. Those people will have access to cards that other people don't necessarily have access to as well for a short period of time until everybody else's pre-orders get through the mail system and hit and start getting cracked. So yeah, it's all sorts but, of awkwardness here. But at the same time... We we're I'm still left wondering like well how much does that matter because what are you doing with them anyways? Well, first of all, is Lurus is Lurus even a rare or is it an uncommon? It's a rare. Okay, so they're as, all, or they're they're all uh, rares, aren't they? As as a rare, I want nothing to do with this in paper. Given how things are going, no. people were asking in our Discord, should I buy at this price or that price? And I said. Don't buy it at any price. You don't have any place to play it anyway. Like, what are you worried about? That it's going to hit 60 before you get a chance at it? 
This comes out of a, a standard set. Can't have a $60 rare. Because if it's worth 60 it's so busted, it's getting banned. Right. That's that's the biggest catch here, is that this is already way over the amount that it could possibly be worth in any reasonable world. Like, it can't be... You can't have a rare that's worth $40 in standard, because what the hell is that card doing? Wizards doesn't want a card like that around. Yeah. They, and you only need one. And you only need... Well, I mean, pro, you, you, it's not a lock for four. Most decks are playing one, right? Like, it seems like that's the way we're leaning. Yeah, we haven't seen much much in the way of decks that are willing to just run it main and not have it as the companion. Yeah. So, yeah, don't buy these. Sell them. If you if you happen across, if you trip across one, sell it. Because yes. it, it might survive in one or two formats, but who cares? Just steer clear. And trust me. Um, I, I, I am always a big proponent of get out while the getting's good. And I think that that's very true with Luris. Talisman of Progress, Foil, or uh, Mana Rock at Ameridin, fifteen forty-five. It's been out of print for ages. It's a great EDH card. They've been draining and draining and draining it until... This is the kind of thing that could easily show up in Commander Legends. That would be a good place for these to get reprinted. In which case, mm-hmm. they'll be reprinted at a higher foil drop rate. Uh, the original foils might still hold because there just won't be any resupply on them. Uh, but I'd be so happy to sell over 30 on these. I'm sure I have a, a couple of a variety of talismans that I bought under 10 and would be more than willing to unload at any reasonable price. Yorion Sky Nomad, uh, also pretty similar to Luris of the Dream Den. This one going from $1.50 to 90 I mean, people that got that order these on pre-order are in this really weird position where on paper they look brilliant, but they can't actually make any money because they don't know when their copies are going to land and whether people will still want them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So if you pre-ordered Luris briefly at like $3 on an SCG and you could get 24 now, you you you, ha- you would have to be arranging a private sale where you're promising to deliver four weeks out. So awkward. Yeah. Uh, Uba, I don't... Uba Mask. Just saw a bit of a hype spike this week. This is the one that says, it's a four mana artifact out of Champions of Kamigawa. If a player would draw a card, the player removes that card from the game face up instead. Each player may play cards he or she removed from the game with Uba Mass this turn. So it basically says you're not casting from your hand, you're casting from exile. Um, and the thing about that is that Droneth Magistrate, which we saw had already top aided, um, prevents uh, opponents from casting spells uh, from anywhere but their hand. So the two of those lock them out of the game completely. Hmm. Which is pretty, uh, pretty gross. But pretty cute. I don't think, I mean, that seems like a stretch. That seems like a pretty big stretch to me. And, and similar things can already be done, right? There's like Teferi Knowledge Pool, which is a similar yep. combo. Which um, is probably just better because you get to play Teferi. <laughs> Truth. Instead of, so, instead of Uba Mask and Granith Magistrate. So then, as with the other companions, Skyruta himself... Uh, or herself, I'm still not sure on the gender on these creatures. Doom of Depths going from a dollar to ten dollars, plus nine bucks, nine hundred percent change. Standard companion hype, no paper supply, and you're probably never going to get to realize your money on these. Nope. I mean, it's possible. Rip. I mean, may- maybe Gyruda is just good and standard and doesn't get banned. In which case, you might be able to unload them for five, six, seven, eight to buy lists. But we'll have to see. With Gairuda, it seems like it's probably more than just standard. You know, we, the legacy play has been pretty good on him. Um, 
So, you know, you've got the standard, but also he looks like he could be doing some growth stuff in Legacy and, you know, other formats are TVD. Um, what's the black spell that lets you put a legend into play? Gorio's Vengeance? Yeah, you can Gorio's Vengeance, the guy rooted in Modern, right? Uh, yes, but not from Exile. But if there was one in your hand, is it from your hand or from your right. graveyard with Gorio's Vengeance? Gris- Gorio's Vengeance is graveyard. Okay, so you need you want to it's discard a, a guy Ruta, then Gorio's Vengeance it, and get the trigger. That seems worth. Uh, yeah, seems fine. Uh, who knows? I mean, the, there's so many different busted things you can do with these these companions. So over on I mean, magic, it's not like it's not like Gorio's Vengeance needed a lot of help. <laughs> over on Magic Online, the story with the Ikoria cards was pretty similar, but. It's really hard to resist the crushing effect of so many sealed pools and draft decks being open on Magic Online. Um, there was really uh, steep spikes in the Ikoria cards in the first 48 hours that were excellent short sell opportunities. Um, because, for instance, Guy Ruta crashed hard when he got banned temporarily. Um and, you know, may well be a pickup at whatever his low is this week uh, in advance of him being re-released into the wild. Um, but all pretty much all the biggest movers on Magic Online that weren't just Ikoria cards spiking uh, for a short period of time were cards related to companions. Not nearly everything. So we have Mox Opal Kaladesh Invention version going from 7 to about 11 for 65% gains. That's almost certainly related to Lurus and probably a side dose of Kinnon because it makes it tap for two mana. Uh, nurturing peatland at mh1 uh, going from about five to eight 69 percent gains or so uptick in jun play again because of luras um sram senior artificer edificer artificer i want to say artificer i uh, like artificer but you gave me tr- a hard time about that last time uh i can't remember if it's edificer or artificer sram sram is edificer um so Edificer uh, a from, or e. from $4 to $7.50, that's the Luris Black White Enchantments deck that won the challenge. Mishra's Bobble went from $27 to $51 on the back of being something busted you can do with Luris. Um, Grim Monolith Promos went from $13 to $26, double up, probably on the back of Kinnon, maybe EDH Legacy Play. Uh, Caracas, the theme deck set one, went from $3 to $6.70. I'm assuming that's Legacy and Vintage Play, um, since it's banned in EDH, right? uh caracas yeah because it yeah 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 yeah. because it bounces commanders for nothing so that can't be allowed oh yeah it is banned okay i i for i knew it did that but for a second there i thought it was legal uh concealed courtyard uh at a kaladesh going from two to 450 on the back of luris and black white enchantments and other uses in pioneer it's also in niv mizzet for instance Clever Impersonator is one of the other clones that Gairuda uses, so it went from 230 to 661. If you drafted a lot of KTK and you have some Clever Impersonators sitting around in your account, uh, shortly would be a very good time to be unloading those for real ticks. Uh, Lion's Eye Diamond, uh, you mentioned a few different ways that <laughs> that Luris, etc. Uh, or Gairuda made that card even more busted, so it pretty much doubled up from 3 to $6 to- the, on the VMA version this week. To be fair, Lion's Eye Diamond needed the help. Yeah. Uh, and then Urza's Bobble at a Master's Edition went from $2 to almost 7 for a 340% gain because it is yet another thing you can recurse with Luris or tap with Kinnon. 
Hmm. Interesting. It's interesting so, to see the cards that move on moto versus paper. Ba- basically everything that is companion related. Like there wasn't a single yeah. card on here that, except maybe Caracas that wasn't related to companions. And I'm not entirely sure that Caracas isn't meant to bounce companions out of play. That actually, also seems, yeah, like I, I, I am willing to bet that that is why Caracas would move because what would the alternative be? Like maybe it's in the Yorion deck if such a thing exists because it can mm. bounce bounce Yorion and let you do the whole thing again. Which is kind of the whole point, right? Nasty. All right, so topics of the week. Uh, the card Flash was banned in EDH. It was really only a problem with Protean Hulk for the most part, but also had other side damage. Mostly a problem in competitive EDH. Had been on everybody's radar when... Uh, Protean Hulk got unbanned that it might become a problem and they went ahead and banned it. I don't really think anybody cares too much. Can only really make the I guess better. I guess the this is noteworthy because they were banning a card in CEDH, which they have not done before, if I am to understand it correctly. But, but the ban applies to both, right? Uh well it's already banned in Commander. Or, was it? I mean, it shows I'm... up as banned in Commander on Scryfall. Nope. Just just got banned. It did just get banned. Okay. Flash had, I, okay. Flash had, already, had always been unbanned. They had banned Protean Hulk earlier. With Protean Hulk back, they've now banned Flash, which... Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but they banned it because of C... EDH, didn't they? Or they Correct. banned it yeah. in CDH the, as well, yeah, which the, is the, which was the, one the impl- because they have a single band list. That's the problem. They don't have a split band list for the two. They are, as far as the the EDH committee is concerned, they are all the same format. Oh, they're all the same format, but they banned Flash because of CEDH, not because of EDH. That's my understanding. I be- yeah, there we go. That's what it was. I knew it was something weird because Sheldon wrote an article about it and was blah, blah, blah. All right. So we've already talked about the companions quite a bit. Do you have anything to add in terms of their ridiculous early dominance? Well, I I think that God, we had this sort of conversation off cast and I don't remember what I, I, I said. Wait, don't don't talk about that because I want to wait on it. Um, I mean, it seems like these are definitely going to be. The biggest problem here is that they look like they're going to get banned. Um, it would be surprising if they don't. Well, one of the things that I saw got mentioned, and I, I'm sorry, I forget the gentleman's name who floated the idea, but compa- the rules text for companion is not actually written on the card. Let me find an example. So it says... Uh, it has the, the the requirement for the companion, you know, like uh, each permanent card costs two or two less or two or less, um, and it says if it's your companion, you can cast it once from outside the game. But I, I what they were talking about was that they could just change the way. And now that I'm reading that italicized text, I'd have to double check. But the idea was floated that they could um, just change the rules for companion. Yep. And the, the, the suggestion that was floated was rather than have it be you cast it once from outside the game, it's after your starting hand is decided, choose a card, p- 
put it on the bottom of your library, choose a card in your hand, like shuffle it into your library, and then put your companion into your hand so that it begins the game in your hand every time, which would then open it up to Thossies and things of that nature. Now, this comes with its own slew of problems, like we shouldn't be starting with the exact same card in our hand every game of Magic. That's kind of defeats the whole purpose. Uh, but that is a way that they could choose to approach this is rather than ban all of the companion cards uh, they could change the rules of companion to make them ideal somehow more fair. I'll tell you this much. If you can figure out which companion is going to be the most useful long-term and least likely to get banned, then foil extended arts of them are going to be pretty tasty. But yeah, you got, you got to figure out which one. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's who's done the least, who's doing the least. I mean, I'm going to build a Luris deck and put it in my casual deck collection full of a bunch of other busted decks, but... And some people will want it in cubes and so forth, but it's basically like an Oko at that point. Its total usage pattern is going to be greatly reduced versus what it deserves to be based on power level. Kahira, the green-white one, was the only one who didn't do anything this weekend, right? That's the, the one. The, the that's the one that gives one. plus one plus one and vigilance to like six different, five or six different creature types. Yeah, it's the Lord Companion. Yeah. Which, by the way, terrible card. Like, I, 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 my problem with this one is that it's a green-white card that buffs cats. Okay, elementals. Okay, dinosaurs. Okay, beasts. Okay, nightmare. What? Like, I get that they were trying to hit all the colors, but like green cat, elemental, dinosaur, and beast so easily don't fall into the call like so easily fall into like basically green white you can you can easily find versions of those cards in all in only green white so nightmare just sticks out so much yeah it's it's very much a ikoria specific thing because it covers most of the major non-huba tribes in ikoria and ikoria limited is very much about human versus non-human and how you how you work that or don't um, for instance, if you want that card as your companion in draft, you've got to pass up some of the creatures you would otherwise want to play, but then it has really good interactions for, for instance, there's a four mana, two white, green, two, four, that for one tap, you can t tap things and it has vigilance. And then the companion gives all of your creatures with, uh, gives them vigilance, uh, and plus one plus one, right? So it turns it into a three, five tapper. Um, that has vigilance it's just ridiculous the the, the white green well, vigilance deck is a whole archetype in the in the it? format i i believe that i guess i'm, I'm looking at I, I it just sticks out at, because outside of limited it seems like it, it is it's no luris let's put it that way awkward mm -hmm. um well yeah and i just mean awkward in the sense that it feels like the nightmare doesn't fit at all. If anyone looks at this card outside of the draft format, they're going to be like, why is this all green card types and then nightmare, I'll, which is not green. I'll make sure to annotate the long list of complaints about companions and put that one at the very bottom. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> Anyways, Kahira seems like your best choice because no, it has, is at least played so far. Uh, beyond that, I would guess it's Yumori. The green-black one that reduces card costs, or maybe Karuga? But Karuga is tough, because I feel like that's going to go... That's eventually going to run into problems. Although, I guess that's what you want. 
Do you have a different take? Uh, my take on Companions is pretty straightforward. I think that this is probably a mistake overall that at least two or three of these are likely to run into ban trouble. Luris being the most obvious one. We've already got Lutri banned in EDH, so Luris would actually be second to catch a ban. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'll put it this way. I don't, I'm not going to be looking at any of these as specs until we see how this shakes out. Um, Here's... We'll very much be looking at the places people are... Well, people are looking at the companions. I will be looking in the opposite direction at something, some other opportunity. Here's my problem is how do you ban some and not all of them? It does seem like it would be awkward to leave a couple. So, you you know, let's say we get out, I don't know, a month and they go, okay, Luris, you're out. Uh, Gigantha, you're out. Or, you know, Luris and Gairuda, you're the first two out, right? You two are the problems. Okay, well, they might be the best companions, but th- when they're the only companions, guess or when they're not there, guess what? Another two companions become the best companions. Well, and and to your point, in some way, the reason that there's ten is that the companions were meant to naturally balance each other. That. If you're not playing the shell that's running Luris, you might be playing the shell that runs Gengatha, and you have some reason to be doing that. And so you're still playing a real game of Magic where you both have eight cards. But as you said, if you ban two or three of them, then there's a there are going to be there might be be one deck in the format or two decks in the format that ha- get access to companions and the others don't. Um, yeah. And then you know do those decks become too dominant and you have or or every or a lot of decks bend to the say whatever 80 card requirement or whatever and all of a sudden everybody's playing 80 cards in constructed um, yeah. to have access to Yorion. Yeah, it's this is a, the whole thing is tricky and I'm glad I don't, I'm not the one who has to deal with it. <laughs> I it, they certainly feel like they were built with the intention of them evening each other out and I don't think that they will be six I it seems unlikely that like it seems like that once the, the, the idea is this is a house of cards, and once you pull, <laughs> once you pull one of these companions out, they can't balance each other anymore, and now your format gets more and more narrow because you ha- you are supposed to be playing a companion deck, and instead of there being eight valuable choices, now there's seven and six and three, and then maybe there's only one companion left, and then the car it's just too good, and now forty percent of your format is. Uh, Kahira deck because why wouldn't it be because that card is still very good um, so it, it you know it's possible there's a world where like one or two of these exist and it's just a deck in the format and maybe that's what Kahira turns into is that a year from now we just have he's the only one legal in Pioneer and there is a Kahira deck that's tier 1 or tier 1.5 but there are other decks that do well because the power of that particular card is your as your 8th card isn't better than what the rest of Pioneer is necessarily doing but um, you know if, if one of these cards was printed outside of a cycle and it just had all the rule sacks for companion printed on it I guess it's possible but I don't know if I'm willing to make that bet yeah alright so let's uh We've got one more thing to talk about in topics of the week. Uh, TCG Player is facing the potential to have their staff unionize. And uh, the staff got a big shout out from none other than Bernie Sanders recently. And yeah, it was unreal. Unreal. <laughs> I thought I, had, I did a double take. I'm like, wait, I had to go check the account. I'm like, was that, is that real? Is that really him? I was like, I was like, wait, that's not even his state. Like, how did that get on his radar? 
but it did. And not so shortly thereafter, TCG put out uh, a statement that was right up there in the header of their website, uh, agreeing yeah. to pay their staff more money. Yeah. Which is now, lovely for now, them. Did you? So first of all, that's awesome for the TCG player staff. Did you notice that they are still saying we don't want you to unionize? It was we because I clicked into the article because I was like, mm, what happened? Uh, why is TCG player advertising this basically? And it's they are upping the minimum wages in an attempt to prevent the people from unionizing right to undercut that you don't really need this because look we're one of the best places to work in america that's an award they have won in the past yeah Uh, and Mm -hmm. we promise we'll take care of you you don't need a union which we're scared of because Mm -hmm. it never 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 does anything but (laughs) wait Mm -hmm. i won't say waste it's is an important thing for the staff but from the corporate perspective they always view it as all net negative yes Corporations loathe unions, and this is we are dangerously close to after hours level discussion here. But uh, yes, this is clearly a concession to try and keep the magic staff, the TCG player staff at bay from unionizing. Uh, and at the very least, it shows you just the threat of unionization is quite powerful. I was like, one of the things that I saw caught sight of on social media this week was people talking about how. When asked, uh, when representatives for Amazon were asked on a major news show whether they had hard stats that they were tracking on how many of their employees that are still working during the crisis had been exposed to COVID or had uh, gotten sick from COVID or had expired from COVID, they claimed they had no access to such data as though that would be impossible. And then the follow-up to that was them being exposed for having a heat map fairly advanced mm. software that tracks which of their location warehouse locations is most is closest to unionizing and on based on which factors. Yep. That was pretty gross. <laughs> they so for for people who who miss that, they were looking at the body heat signatures of staff moving through their facilities and if they see m- physical movement like people congregating in specific spots at specific times, you know, that leads them to believe that there are unionization efforts in place. Sure. Um, Which is... Ugh. <laughs> All right, so moving right along. Uh, cards to watch for the week. Uh, over on Magic Online, uh, I don't have a pick, but the uh, co-writer of the Magic on uh, Magic Online Guide to Speculation and Collection uh, Optimization that we published just today. Uh, you can find it over on mggprice.com, free for everybody. Uh, Oko Assassin uh, has called out Lurus of the Dream Den, but <laughs> not to buy... This You're supposed to short this. This is a short play. So you have your rental account, and you get this. By the, Right now, it's at 18 tickets. It should be headed down in the near future. So on the pressure, downward pressure from being heavily drafted, uh, it's unclear how resistant Luris will be to that, given that people think it might get banned, but they need it for a bunch of formats. So it's certainly being heavily played and heavily purchased. But you've got all this sealed and draft supply coming into the market. So... Oko is making a bit of a ballsy play here, but it is in sync with what we would expect to happen, given that it's a rare and not a mythic. There's just too many of them that are likely to flow into the Magic Online marketplace shortly. So you rent these at 18, you wait for it to drop to a number you like, 14, 12, 10, 8 tickets, and then you buy them back and return them. And I think based on the math he showed me, it was something... It's looked like your costs, if it took a few weeks, were going to be something like five or six tickets per copy. Uh, so you do need to 
Uh, actually, let me just double check that. Was it five or six tickets per copy? No, it was about 4.5 ticks if you hold for two weeks. So if you get from, say, 17 ticks down to 10 ticks, then your net profit would be something like 23.5 uh, on a play set, I'm, I'm presuming he means. Um, so I like this short. I think Luris is ridiculously busted, but should succumb to the pressure. And if he doesn't, then it's going to be a surefire sign that the cards are going to get banned. And you might just have to hold for longer. Yeah. Well, I think it's, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm inclined to say risky, but it's hard for me to say that confidently, not knowing more about how all this works, but, uh, well, given it does, I mean, it's on an abstract level, Luris has got to be ringing every alarm bell at wizards. And I kind of wonder how many people, how many people on the play design team are kind of sitting there going, fucking told you. Given that this is the first time we've ever called out a short play, uh, we should mention that the, in theory, you have unlimited downside to a short play. So, for instance, if you rent the card at 18, sell it right away for 18, and then it goes up to 36, you actually owe them, you're going to have to buy it at 36 and return it. So it's going to, you're going to, going to cost you twice as much as it should have, and you're going to make zero money. <laughs> Plus, you're going to have to pay your rental fees on top of that. Uh and you can't hold it infinitely. You got to return them within a, a certain period of time. I can't remember if the max is two weeks or four weeks through the rental service, but uh, we'll, you can find uh, an article on all of that on MGG Price as well to get the details um, or discuss it with our the people that are most in tune with Magic Online in our Discord. Uh, so just be aware. It, it is a different kind of play, but if you're trying to experiment with shorts via rental systems, this is a, as good a time as any. It does seem like a reasonable candidate. And I, I don't... When did they ban Oko? Let me see here. Uh, November 18th, they banned him in... Standard. And when thrown out, Aldrain was what was this like october something october 4th so you had about five weeks where oko was legal and standard so there's your window essentially and then i think he was banned in modern january 13th or something uh yeah it was not that banned announcement so you know in worst case scenario it's probably five weeks yeah and it could be anywhere i should i should say but but that's not really what this is based on. This is not about you're, he's going to get banned soon enough to make him go down. This is just that the overwhelming supply from drafts and sealed pools being open on Magic Online as a new down. rare should overwhelm the uh, current, even this super high peak demand and push the card down to a lower price point. Because it's a rare. If yeah. it was a mythic, it could be the mythic in the set like Uro is in Theros that holds a really high price point. Like, for instance, I think uh, over in Theros Beyond Death, if we take a look at what the most expensive card is currently, I'm assuming it's got to be Uro, and the price is uh, 43 tickets. But the highest rare in Theros Beyond Death is Dryad of the Elysian Grove at at $1.06. <laughs> so... <laughs> Luro and Thassa's Oracle was probably the one that was fastest out of the gate, out of the rares, and it peaked 
January 31st at 8.72 tickets. So the price you're looking to get off the Luris short train is still above, if you were looking to get out at 10, would still be above the highest peak that Thassa's Oracle ever hit. And from January 31st, 31st, Oracle just fell off a cliff. By February 9th, it was down to $1.62. So that kind of math suggests that Luris has to come down. Even if it's the best rare we've seen all year, it shouldn't be able to hold over $10. Yeah. There's just too much. To I, I, I'm not doing it, but yes, this does all sound very good to me. And he, the more, as you're reading the numbers off to me, I'm like, yeah, it sounds even better. I'm even, I like this even more. Now, speaking of Thassa's Oracle, that's my first pick of the week. Thassa's Oracle oh. extended art foils uh, are starting to drain out pretty hard. And uh, you got to assume that the, even though the most of the inventory of Theros Beyond Death was open pre-crisis, trailing opening of packs is probably cut off basically completely. Like, can you picture somebody sitting at home and thinking they're going to order some stuff for magic in their boredom and going after Theros packs right now? That seems very, very unlikely to me. Um, And especially extended arts that are from the collector booster boxes. Um, Now that said, (laughs) anecdotal counter, I did buy two Theros collector booster boxes last week. Um, but that was because they, with some discount coupon at uh, a vendor online, they were, I think, 135 US. Yeah. Which is just. I remember it was gross. Which, which is just ridiculous. But I mean, if you see a deal like that, sure. But the usual 160, 170 posting or whatever, no, nah, I'm not that interested. Um, I will say to people that are rushing out to buy Ikoria collector boosters on pre order at the like the 200 to 210 mark, I would be rethinking that. Like, I, I, I see if, people, if the economy reboots in the next two months then Ikoria Collector Boosters should do no worse, but certainly no better than Theros Collector Boosters. And those are dirt cheap now. They've only gone down over time. It, it looks like you can wait. And there's so much benefit to doing that. If you can hold your, your bullets and go after extended arts and fancy stuff from these sets vis-a-vis cheaper Collector Booster boxes that are closer to 170 160 150 or you know on, on the odd chance you run into my $135 Ikoria Collector Boosters, you're going to get a bunch of cool stuff that you can unload for a profit in the mid to long term. And you much rather pay 50 or 60 bucks less <laughs> to make that easier on yourself. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's not that many Thassa's Oracle EAs around. The ramp's looking pretty steep. You can currently get copies around 32 bucks on TCG Player. I could easily see them hitting 50 to 60 within a year, assuming the whole economy doesn't collapse. It's the 18th most played Pioneer card, second biggest EDH card in Theros Beyond Death. And it's got legs. I, uh, I'm a fan. I think that Thassa's Oracle is, is it the best card from that, from those collectors boosters? It's gotta be up there, right? Like what, what else from Theros looks as good as Thassa's Oracle Give, does? Given, Probably that, not given that it's a rare, uh, Uro, I guess Uro is the alternative. Yeah. Uro's the best. Yeah, this is still very tasty. And you're looking at a foil EA for 30 bucks. Yeah. Well, for many, yeah, that's... I, may, I may as well skip ahead. The, the, the other EDH card, the only one that ranks higher than Thassa's Oracle for EDH purposes, is my second pick. Dryad of the Elysian Grove extended art foils. Um, over on EDH Rec, you got 48.50 decks for Thassa's Oracle, 21% of all blue decks running it. 
Dryad of the Legion Groves is 53.95 decks, 23% of all decks running it. And this is a fairly similar play overall. Um, Dryad is available around 38, so a little bit more expensive than the Oracle. Um, but I could see it going, say, 38 to 60 uh, on the back of also being one of the top 50 modern cards, biggest EDH card in Theros Beyond Death. The supply draining and ramp is just as real as it is with Oracle. And if it's good enough for modern, it's probably good enough for Pioneer. It just doesn't have a real home there yet. Right. Uh, I I still think Thassa's Oracle is a very, very well-positioned card out of that set. Your foil foil that foil EAs at thirty bucks is quite tasty for a card that's as popular as it is. Eight, like you said, eighteenth and Pioneer, huge in in EDH two out of the set. Um, and Dryad at thirty eight is going to be a EDH staple. We kind of already know that. Um, so both are well positioned. And you know, you were we were just talking about. Uh, wait, let me find it. Uh, Brazen Borrower, the foil extend the showcase cards there, going to $100 this week. Now, these are rares, not mythics, but are still very popular. Um, I think probably not quite as popular as Brazen Borrower, but very good. I mean, if we were looking at $100 for foil mythic showcases i don't think 50 and 60 is a stretch for the most popular rares well it is a bit apples and oranges though because brazen borrower showcase is not an extended art the showcases are the cards that that show up as alt art in regular booster packs eas are only available in collector booster packs so if anything brazen borrower showcase foils granted a mythic not a rare um being able to hit 100 says that the foil extended art mythics should easily be able to hit 100 because there's way less of them than there is the Brazen Borrower showcases. So your things, yeah. your things like Nyx Bloom, uh, uh, what's that card from Theros? Nyx Bloom Ancient that I've got a bunch of sitting around, um, which is one of the top five or six uh, Theros Beyond Death cards for EDH. You know, the f- foil extended arts of those are going to be are much more likely to take off than say Thassa Deep Dwelling. You know, Thassa Deep Dwelling has got some pressure this week because it's it's a four of in the Gyruda deck as well because you can use the Thassa trigger every turn to flicker your Gyruda, uh, which is hmm. especially nasty. And then the Thassa tends to turn on because there's all the, the blue pips on the board, um, Gyruda being two pips by itself. Uh, but the Thassa showcase, God uh, Constellation showcase foils are, you know, trivially trivially priced versus the extended art nix bloom ancients so yeah brazen borrower being able to push that high suggests that people are willing to pay for you know these premium versions and has me feeling relatively confident that the extended art stuff is going to pay off in the time frame that we think it would like in the 12 to 18 month horizon okay i i I know that there are apples and oranges um you know the showcase and the extended arts are not the same cards nor do they have the same distribution models but i think it was you know valuable as a rough frame of reference essentially well and Um, and the and the place where that comparison actually maybe drives closer to home is not even the theros gods because there just isn't one there that has jumped out as being especially important in multiple formats but perhaps some of the uh anime art monsters that are not godzilla based um the showcases from ikoria 
you know, if your snap DAXs or your um, Nethroids or whatever end up being a big deal somewhere, then the and out of the mythics of them that are all, I think all the mythics are three color. Um, you know, if any of them becomes as popular as a brazen borrower, then, you know, that's the model that you're looking at chasing. Now, having played against a bunch of them in sealed over the last few days, I don't see that opportunity yet because most of them are EDH tricolor beaters, whereas brazen borrower is relatively easy to cast in any blue deck. So the the competitive multi-format competitive play for those uh, the mythics from Ikoria d- isn't ringing my bell quite yet, but the yeah. the model still worth paying attention to. Yeah, mutate is awkward in other formats where you're unlikely. Like even if you want that card, you're unlikely to want other mutate cards, which means you're really only getting one mutate trigger. So like, how much do you really want them? Well, see, they seem I, to have less. What, once you've played with them, I think you'll see that on the mythic mutates, <laughs> you only really need the one trigger. Uh, the Sultai guy, Brokos, is a 6-6 that you basically just cast for 5, and then when he comes back the next time, you're cast- basically you can cast him out of your graveyard whenever you want. So the Mutate is not really all that important anyway, um, because the Mutate just brings him back. Uh, you just gotta have yeah. something to put it on. The Snapdax is the one that is like a Siege Rhino, where it does like the eight point- does 4 damage or something, you gain 4 life and whatever, and it's a Death Touch or something. Um, right. So most of these are have a, a pretty decent chance of seeing at least standard play, maybe pioneer play. But it's it's tough. There's there's always so much stuff you can do at five, six, seven, eight mana. There's always these crazy big beaters. Um, they don't necessarily they don't stand out to me as things that are going to fill a role. The only one that might be a little different is I think the Jeskai one is the is the one with the lowest casting cost that might be part of some kind of Jes- Jeskai aggro deck in uh pioneer vadrox apex of thunder just cost just guy three three flying first strike you may cast target non-creature with converted mana cost three or less from graveyard without paying its mana cost so that's the one we talked about with daniel that you're putting a three three flying first strike into play for four and you could bring it to fairy back from the yard that's the one closest to brazen borrower i think so if you're looking at you know what could what could push to the borrower type level that might be the card out of Ikoria that is closest yeah I guess I'm just not really convinced on any of them like you said that just seems like you're spending a lot of mana for an effect that's ultimately not going to be all that useful especially in older formats the exception being Brokos because that's I mean it's a mutate but like only kind of a mutate it's basically just pay five to play the six six out of your graveyard so if that card is useful on its face then sure but you know that's it's a little different and it's also not going to be like brazen borrow i don't think where you see it in multiple formats yeah, it, you know what i mean it's interesting because the rare the rare creatures look mostly more, like all the companions and so forth are more busted than the mythics in the case of the monster side of icoria the the ones that see the mythics that seem to have be likely to have the most impact are ones that don't have uh, showcase but do have extended arts so that's even better so I'd be looking at extended uh, art foil general Kudro uh, Cheville Bane of Monsters maybe um, 
Riel has one, doesn't she? And probably Riel. She should. Oh, oh, and Kinnan. Kinnan is the. It's got to be the standout there. Kinnan and General Kubro oh, which are one's the top two. Which one's Kinnan? That's one that everything any non-land permanent you tap taps for one extra. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That card is gross. And then for seven, you look at the top five cards of your library, put a non-human creature card from among them onto the battlefield. So ramps you super hard in EDH, and then you go get a big thing and put it into play. <laughs> It's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be useful forever. So yeah, I think Kinnan is my foil EA pick for this set, and I'm sure it will. Once it gets cheap, then it'll show up on our list. Kinnan is real gross, real gross. All right, so your first pick. Uh yeah. So I'm starting off this week with uh, with a Luris pick. Um, I'm I was poking around some of the Luris decks, and unsurprisingly, Concealed Courtyard has been pretty popular. Uh, given that Luris is in black white, so if you're anywhere near those colors, then you want to be playing Concealed Courtyard. Uh, so you can get foil Concealed Courtyards right now for about seven bucks. Um, you might be able to score a couple for six, but assume seven. Uh, you're looking at both the Kaladesh pack foils and the pre release foils. There's very few pre release foils, there's like 10 uh, pack foils, there's a little bit more. But not that many. I think it's like 25 or something like that. Uh, so generally not that many. It's useful in in modern and EDH on its own. And Luris is pushing the demand. So even if Luris gets banned, the card's not bad. Um, it seems like it's well positioned to, to keep moving regardless. Uh, as long as people continue to play with paper cards. The longer Luris stays unbanned, the better Concealed Courtyard gets better. Or basically, uh, and I can't promise you that's going to happen. And in fact, the last you know, roughly two hours of our discussion here sh- should tell you what we think of the odds of Luris remaining unbanned. But, um, you know, if Wizards decides to take their time with this, you've got that going for you. Uh, so, Concealed Courtyard foils, about six or seven bucks. I, you can probably look for them to hit maybe 15, you know, if we're getting a little greedy. Uh, with the one caveat being, I don't know if people are playing Paper Magic either. Or I don't know when they're going to. My cards are still selling. For now, doesn't mean they. If, if the economy stays close for three more months, as we've said, then all bets are off. But if it opens, this will be a blip on the radar instead of a ma- major, major big deal. Here's the thing about courtyard, though, specifically, Luris makes it a lot better. But even if that's only a short-term impetus, and then Luris gets banned, the cor- foil courtyards could still drain out and be flippable before it gets banned. And yeah. no one has to be. It's not a card where Luris is the only reason it's good. Courtyards in seventy five hundred reported decks on EDH Rec should probably be higher. Um, the it's played in a bunch of other decks, like I mentioned, Niv Mizzet Re, uh, Reborn five color decks. Play it in Pioneer and Modern. Um, it's played in a bunch of other decks. The black white SRAM build was already a top eight contender without Luris and only got better with. So even if it gets banned, the, that deck will still get played. The people that bought into that deck don't have to worry. They knew it was a playable deck already. Um, so, and they only lose the one card out of their sideboard and then have access to additional stuff that makes the deck better over time. So Luris is not the reason that deck exists. Uh, it's also not the reason this card is desirable to own. A foil rare that sees play in as many formats as this does does not deserve to be sub $10. So this, I think, is the best pick of the week. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm glad that you you came to it uh, without me having this, without asking me first and then me begrudgingly picking it, <laughs> feeling bad about it. Fair enough. Uh, tell me about Generous Gift. That's your uh, second pick this week, yeah? 
Yeah, Modern Horizons has been seeing some action lately, right? So, uh, again, I, you know, I'm like, all right, well, I'm looking at the constructed formats with Concealed Courtyard, but we did get all these new commanders. Let's go see how things are going over there. Uh, and Generous Gift jumped out at me, so I went digging some on some of the spec stats on that. Modern Horizons is the only cop, only printing there. Um, there's about 30 foil copies left on TCG Player, floating around $7 on your low. Which means so that you know that sets it up to jump up to fifteen to twenty bucks potentially. There are like like I said about thirty copies on TCG Player. It's in fifteen thousand EDH rec decks, and it's a top the in the top fifteen for white cards this month. So a very popular white card in general. Um, I think this is very good if we dodge the reprints this year, um, and the commander product is certainly one of. I guess a couple places possibly that this might see a reprint. Now we're talking about the foils. So the set associated commander decks should put you in the clear, which really means you're only talking about the commander product. And are they going to reprint use a uh, uncommon slot to reprint this? I, I don't have that answer for you. I mean, it was just in modern horizons, which was last year. It's new. Um, it's, but it doesn't feel like it needs a reprint. So I can see Wizards opting to leave this alone for the time being, which would put this in very good position very quickly. Uh, and the com- the commander set might actually get canceled anyways, right? Like, or at least push back, depending on how things look in what September they may decide to, to hold that product until they can get more butts and seats. Um, so even if it's in that set, maybe you get a break there. I don't have these answers. I just know that these are all possibilities. Yeah, I mean, Generous Gift is a EDH white super stable. Um, it was from the moment it was printed. Uh, the ability to get rid of a- anything and leave them with a creature that may not have much impact on the board at all is uh, a relatively unique effect and one that white is uh, happy to have access to. So uh, We know it was good in green. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, my final pick of the week is Ashiok Dream Render, which is the 10th most played card in modern at present. Uh, stain, wow. Stained Glass, I know, right. Uh, which I, I flagged this card way back at War, not the Stained Glass, obviously, because we didn't know about them at the time. Um, but just that this card was strong, um, one of many strong Planeswalkers out of the set. Uh, you can get the Stained Glass copies for about 12 bucks right now, and I think they were actually as cheap as 7 or 8 uh, about a month or two ago. Um, so it's already been up, a, it's already up maybe 50% from its low. Uh, I can see these running from 12 to 20 now. There's hardly any of them lying around. And the one caveat is that at some point, the second half of the constellate, the Stargazer, uh, Theros God secret layer release, each of each box of which has uh, a stained glass walker at the bottom is going to hit they are currently locked up in a warehouse somewhere a month two months three months from now those are going to hit the wild and are going to create counter pressure on all of the stained glass walkers but uh i have a feeling that would be a blip in the radar because by that point a lot of them will be drained out up to a certain level they might get pushed back down so if you buy this Ashok at 12 maybe it rises to 16 or 18 in the interim then that inventory hits pushes pressure back down to 14 or 12 and then that starts to bleed out and another three to six months later you have your opportunity set up again now you can play this one of two ways you can be a little more ballsy and go at it right now 
Um, or you can play the waiting game and hope that I'm right about the counter pressure when the extra inventory hits. There's also the possibility that uh, if the economy stays closed, less secret layers are released. We haven't had any announced since this all kicked off, right? We know that the one that it that has that was scheduled for June was supposed to give us access to the fetch lands that are in the secret layer that the LGS has got. Uh, some people may have forgotten about this and all of the chaos from the last six weeks or so. But basically, Wizard said, yeah, we're sending the Fetchland secret layer to the LGSs to sell. We know that those are going to be selling for a high price tag, so those fetches are not cheap. Um, but if you order this other unannounced secret layer from us, I think it was in June, then if you order the full bundle, you will get a random fetch from the secret layer fetch release. And that is forthcoming. Now, what that says to me is that that release probably doesn't have stained glass walkers and may be mark the terminus point of them distributing those, which plays into my earlier theory mentioned on cast that the stained glass walkers were only going to be distributed for six months. Um, so it's unclear whether there was supposed to be another secret layer release, say, around now that was in between the one in June and 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 uh, the Stargazer one that would have provided more stained glass walkers and whether that one will ever be released or not. But bottom line is stained glass walkers, the good ones are draining out of the market in the interim. And from the, whether it is a short, mid or long-term play, I can't guarantee for you, but I have every confidence that things like Nyssa and Teferi and um, Ashiok are going to be cards you're going to want to own in your collection. Yeah, the God, the the stained glass price on this at twelve dollars is pretty appealing. Um, Ashiok, the Dream Render here is, as you said, like you heard me. Wow, like that's top ten in modern. But I mean, it is. It's doing very well in the format, and it's unlikely to really get much worse. I mean, as formats get more powerful, so will Ashiok essentially, um, which sets him up well for the future. I, I'm also in agreement with you that I think they're going to cut the stained glass. I think that that was a shtick to get players on board with these. Um, early on, they, they might have anticipated people having a sour taste in their mouth with essentially wizards selling cars directly to consumers. And they figured to use the stained glass to juice the initial re- releases, knowing that eventually they would get, you know, okay, we're going to do this until people are on board and then we're cutting them. Um, so 12 bucks for these, really, huh? That is, that's like, a, huh, I should go look and see, uh, it's about picking some of these up. So, so here's the thing about that Stargazer series too, because the second half of it never landed. Because keep in mind, the way secret layers are uh, produced, Wizards assumes they're going to sell a certain number of copies. Let's say it's 10,000. They pre-print those. The day that they sell them, the order, the first 10,000 units worth of orders that come in basically start shipping the next day. If they sell more than that 10,000, they go back to press for those. And it takes, at first it wasn't that long, but now you're looking at a month, two, three, four months to get the, the second wave of uh, the Stargazer series. And as a result, those the gods in that series, if you bought the bundle... It was five sets of three gods each for fifteen. Uh, sorry, for 150 US plus shipping and taxes, depending on where you are. And so that's basically like a little bit more than $10 per god. Um, but in each of the five sets, if you got the bundle, well, whether or not you got the bundle, you're, you also got a stained glass planeswalker. 
And if you hit decently on those, you're going to be in real good position. So for instance, I I was talking to one of our members this week and they were giving me the math and I said, hey, I don't think I have to send this. I guess I don't have to sell this as a bundle. It sounds like if you crack it, you're going to do fine, at least for the, for the time being. So I went ahead and cracked mine, pulled another Teferi, pulled Anissa, and then the other three were like 6 or $7 walkers. But so what? I pulled Anissa and a Teferi. That ad, like total, it was about $115 worth of additional value. Um, and if you hit Jace Wilder of Mysteries, that's like 37 if you hit a Nuka Bolas, that's like 35. Narset is 70 plus for the stained glass, and Liliana is 80 plus. So you only really need to hit one of those really good ones to really make that $150 thing work for you. And again, because probably because that in, additional inventory didn't land, so let's just say that there are 10,000 units out there um, for argument's sake. Perforos, God of the Forge. Keep in mind, all of these gods are not the ones from Theros Beyond Death. They're ones from the original Theros block um, in constellation form. So Perforos, God of the Forge, is holding market price about $28. Athreos is at $27. Karametra is at $24. Xenagos at $24. Th- uh, Thassa at $22. This is Thassa, God of the Sea, not the new one. Phoenix at $17. Erebos at $17. And on and so forth. All of them are above cost, and several of them are double or triple cost. Plus, you got the five stained glass walkers on top of that. So if you put 150 in, not too hard to get 300 out after fees, and that's a double up within six months. That's a real nice place to be. Now, all you got to do is find the collector that didn't get on these at the right time that needs these for their collection and sell the whole, you know, the entire lot of gods all at once, and then you can decide what you want to do with your stained glass walkers. I mean, all of that information is very appealing. No question there. Uh, and I don't think you're going to have any trouble finding people who didn't get these in the first place. I mean, we can be positive that there are individuals who will have missed the boat, as it were. Uh, I mean, that's the, the nature of this type of activity. And also who decide after the fact that they should go back and collect them, right? People come to this later on as well. So I think, uh, you know, if we look at the gods as sort of a a benchmark. It seems like these Ashiaks and some, probably some, several of the St. Glass walkers are all well positioned here looking at, you know, and probably a longer time frame, maybe a year or something like that overall. Yeah. I mean, some of these other secret layer drops are in really good position too. Like OMG kitties is at $82 market. I think that was either a $30 or a $40 original secret layer. So just under a double up after fees, if you've been holding and, and can find a buyer. The International Women's Day drop from, I believe it was March, uh, sitting at 65. Um, the Year of the Rat sitting over 60. I mean, Secret Layer has been good to the MTG Finance community, good to the collector. Yeah, good for everyone other than the people who want to buy them, <laughs> I guess. It's good for everyone who, good except for everyone who, who decides to buy them, them later. <laughs> yeah, basically, who, who forgot to check the day they went on sale. Yeah. Yeah, so Ashiok Dreamender stained glass, 12 to 20, seems like a, a lock to me. You might get off the, the boat if you've already got these in hand before additional inventory hits. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll have to hold longer. Best of luck to you. <laughs> I, it does seem like, and they're so, I, I, I would just be surprised if these work out poorly for you. I think the stained glass walkers all have. Um, you know, pretty solid long term collector's appeal at least, and being good is just, gravy yep the one thing i'll keep my uh point out is that they do tend to come 
uh, bent. Mine certainly, mm. like I'm currently unbending mine because they are sitting in an open air box that's mostly air. So they are going to absorb moisture. They weren't packed with silica gel packs, which is definitely a mistake on Wizard's part. Their process also tends to create bendy cards anyway for secret layers. So just be aware that you're not going to get pristine flat magic cards. You're going to have to do some work if you're buying them for your collection to get them into a shape that you can actually shuffle up. That's kind of gross. Yeah. Um, That's wizards for you. Not a huge deal. The first way I do it, I put it in perfect fits, put put it in uh, a team bag, put that inside a hard case and leave them for a while. And then I'll take them out and put them around some desiccant and some silica gel packs and get most of it flattened back out. And I'm a little su- they'll never be perfect, but you can get it, reduce most of the problem. I'm a little surprised that's sufficient, honestly. I um, I like to take, and I, 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 I don't have a, a great example of how well this worked, but I have taken, you know, a couple junk magic cards and put them, and I'll, you know, I'll put the, the card I want to unbend in a perfect sleeve. And then I'll put that in a sandwich with some, you know, junk commons or whatever, and then put something very heavy on it you know, a stack of textbooks or what have you and let that sit for a while. I think that's not bad either. Yeah. I, I put them under books before just to for, create the right, the right kind of pressure. And if I, if I sleep, I have a huge set of like foil, more or less bulk foils that every month or two, something will pop off and go from $2 to $10 or $20 or something. And I'll pull it out and sell it. And to keep them flat, they're all in perfect fits, and then I just pack them real tight in a hard rectangular plastic container. Um, so they they basically just keep keep each other in line. Um, I I do have a I have been trying to do a straighten out a the foil war sheet that we all got, uh, and I put that which is of course foil magic cards just in a sheet. And that came in the tube, so it was pretty curly when I got it. And I sandwiched that and laid like five or six textbooks on and left it underneath the bed for uh, seven months. And it's just about flat. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to have to do that too because mine's been in the tube the whole time. So I think what I'm going to do is probably get two pieces. Well, I might just get the frame for it and put it in the frame. (laughs) And if I frame it correctly, it will be flat immediately. Um but first, I'll have to get a custom frame built for it. If I wanted yeah. to try to flatten it for the purposes of cutting it, which was my original intent, and I just have never gotten around to it, um, mm. probably your best bet is just to find the operator that was going around letting, like, offering to cut them for people and get let them handle all that. Because they'll just they'll probably put it to get, you know in between two big flat things or put it on a press, flatten it for some period of time and then they'll get around, they'll do their cutting thing. It's also possible just to unroll it and then uh, secure it in the cutting station, I assume to facilitate the cutting. Um, I I would presume that factory cutting doesn't care if it's misshapen because it will straighten it. Yeah. Like it clamps it down, flattens it. I don't actually know. That would just be my assumption. As, As long as it was only, curled and not also wrinkled or damaged in some way yes right 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 presuming the cart yes, yes as long as there's nothing that's going to throw off the die cut you're probably fine um and i would actually like to get mine cut i, I don't want to post it i think a huge sheet of magic cards on the wall uh doesn't meet my my art, 
artistic standards yeah. artistic standards for the house but uh i definitely want to cut it it's a lot of free expensive magic cards like they're, it's gonna if you can get it if you can get it cut well but that that was going around i think on the miss i want to say it's the misprints group but i might be misspeaking um <laughs> that somebody who worked for a printing house was doing it for people i'm pretty sure dj uh douglas johnson got it done i know cliff tried to do it himself with a die cut that didn't go so well <laughs> so i'm very much inclined to not try it myself um doing it yourself sounds like a good way to lose a couple hundred bucks yeah and also a lot of work like to, to do it well it's gonna take some time um i'd rather oh, yeah. i'd rather pay 100 bucks send it off to somebody and get like a few hundred in foils back Pre- presuming that they do it well enough i suppose yeah well, I mean, if I send it to a like professional a printing house and they, know, and they know and I gave them samples of the cards, they should be able to. Here in Toronto, I, I know the press exists. The question is, when will it open and will they do a single sheet job and what will they charge for that? You kind of have to get somebody to do at, you a favor. At the moment, they might be willing to do a single sheet job because how much else do you think they're doing? Well, n- nothing if nobody's at the at the at the press. Yeah, uh, I I'm did didn't Doug do his intentionally nfc yes but i like, i would probably cut, cut i would probably offering. not do that because i don't find it that to be all that interesting I, I don't either but i think the appeal of doing the intentionally nfc is that you don't care like it's it doesn't have to be picture perfect because that's kind of the appeal whereas if you try and get it cut to exacting standards that's where you run into the problem of them not actually being playable i mean i'll say this i, I don't think you want to be and it, you definitely don't nfc cut it and then try to sell it like they're packed normals because people will freak even though they came off a sheet <laughs> so if your cut was perfect i don't really see what anybody would have to complain about but your best bet is to do it for yourself like what this allows me to do is take any of those cards out of my cube my decks my uh commander decks and sell those cards instead and replace them with ones that i'll never give up oh sure if you have a use for a personal use for all those cards that seems like a valid way to go i I think probably most players don't because for most players a valid use of those cards is going to be playing with them in a competitive format in a sanctioned event well, it's I mean, Cuban EDH if, is like if you your cut it more or less out. perfectly. They're they're sanctioned magic cards. If they can't, if the yeah. judge can't tell the difference, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess I, you know, I, it, I don't, I shouldn't speak too authoritatively on this, simply because I'm not exactly clear on how much of a margin of error you have on that type of thing. Well, you're gonna, you're gonna have, it's gonna have to be the corner cut is the most important part. Off center or not, that doesn't matter. As long as the corners are clean and you can't tell the difference sleeved, you're probably fine. And it does give you access to a lot of cool foils. It's the rares and the mythics on the sheet, right? I think so. I don't have it in front of me. I believe so. So that's. I I don't really want to put it on the wall either for the record. I just don't know what else to do with it. That's that's giving us Feather the Redeemed in foil, Niv-Mizzet, God Eternal Oketra, Ilharg the Razebor, Fibblethip the Lost, God Eternal... Kefnet, Rolesk, Apex Hybrid, uh, Bontu, Ronas, uh, Narcissus Reversal, Bolas Citadel, Jace Wielder of Mysteries, Teferi Time Raveler, Nickel Bolas Dragon God, Finale of Devastation, Casualties of War, Spark Double, 
uh, a bunch of other planeswalkers you may or may not care about. Vivian, Champion of the Wilds, Tamiyo, Collector of Tales, Liliana, Dreadhorde General, Nisa, Who Shakes the World. Like, this is a deep set. There are yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Plenty of good foils in there. And, and, and foils that cool are only going to get more expensive over time, especially because it was the last set at the old foil drop rate. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also mm-hmm. way more of them in the wild because everybody got a free sheet. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I suspect 98% of those sheets were not cut. So they're not act- oh, yeah. so they're not actually in the wild. I mean, neither- uh, uh, 90% of them are in tubes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if most of them and are stuck in tubes, tubes, then I'm not really worried about there being too many foils for war. So one of, uh, I, oh God, what is his name? Moxie MTG's husband. Uh, his Twitter handle is Hackworth. Uh, I posted, I, I was move, doing a bunch of housework and posted a photo of my war sheet just like laying flat on top of a bunch of construction materials. And I was like, so everyone else got their song up, right? And he's like, what have you had that for nine months? Look at this. And he's got a photo of a, I think it was a re- uncut revised sheet. Sure. <laughs> laying flat in like his garage over some you know tupperware containers or whatever wow. and i was like okay 20 something years it's probably been sitting there all right revise <laughs> so so my point my point is that those would, war sheets uh, i would probably frame it might not have, it might have it was anthologies or chronicles it was old it was it was very old um but it's like okay if that's still sitting around i bet most of these war sheets will remain in tubes um anyways if i do end up paying in mine i, pro- I might put it just like in our guest bathroom that's like next to our sort of entertainment area. So when people come over and play like board games and whatever, but magic, if they go into the bathroom and they stand there and they pee, I'll put it right in front of the toilet so they can read the cards while they're tinkling. All right. Um, so but that seems can, like a good place to wrap it up. Yeah, we can probably call that a wrap. <laughs> uh, where can people find you online, Travis? Uh, I am, as always, for better or worse, on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. How about you? You guys can find me on Twitter at mggcritic, as well as via my weekly articles on mggprice.com. I also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Also want to shout out that we are still running the program where we will help people try to sell cards through our MTG Price official Twitter account uh, and give your buyer a f- additional 5% off if you want to take advantage of that. We are also offering discounts for people that are going through financial hardship if they need to get access to some of our resources or advice from our team. So feel free to reach out. Catch me on uh, Twitter or at james at mggprice.com if you want to get some more info. Excellent. Once again... MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Uh, This podcast being episode 216 of Fast Finance, uh, another good one, and another one on the docket for next week. So I will see you in seven days. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.